Welcome back to another episode of Time Out with the Sports Doctor podcast. I would like first like to thank everyone for the amount of support that you showed on this last episode with Dr. Deborah Hyde. Her her story is excellent. The way that she went from a small town girl to becoming the second African American female neurosurgeon in the United States. That episode quickly turned into my most downloaded episode since I've started this show. So I really like to thank everyone for the support. And we have another great interview for you today. Uh, today we have Dr. Fred Jones, who is a retired business law and ethics professor, former United States Supreme Court attorney turned into the book coach. He now dedicates his time into helping you write a book, build your brand and grow your business. So without further ado, we will get into this episode. So welcome to the show, Dr. Fred Jones. Very glad to have you here Good to be here. Good to be here. Thank you, sir, Dr. Burgess. So you grew up in the civil rights era as a young child in Louisiana. Tell us about how this influenced you into pursuing a career in law. Well, I saw law as a a powerful vehicle to equalize uh, some of the injustices that I saw as a young boy growing up. I saw... Uh, I knew I would be a person who was always in the church. Uh, and so seeing how church leadership was handled, I was during election time, I would see pol- political leaders that didn't look like me come in and, and, and give a donation and buy the whole church. And I'm like, I don't like that. Something about that's not right. And so I said, if I'm going to be in the church and be a leader, I want to be a, a smart preacher. <laughs> so I just decided I wanted to do law. Uh, that's one point. And then the other side of it was uh, I had a personal experience. My family, uh, I had one of my brothers that that needed a lawyer. And my mom and dad raised money. They found money and, and begged almost to get the money to hire the lawyer, paid the lawyer, and the lawyer didn't do much. And then they had to find another lawyer. And that just bugged me as a young boy. And I said, I'll go to law school. I'll become a lawyer so I can represent people and not walk, see them get ripped off like that. Okay. And you grew up uh, kind of around the civil rights era. Correct. 60, yep. I was born February 5th, 1960. So that's when the I remember the sit-ins in Memphis and, and some of the other states where they were having sit-ins, boycotts, right in the middle of the civil rights era. That's correct. So while you were coming up through, I guess, elementary, maybe middle school, is that when they were starting to integrate the schools in Louisiana? That is correct. Uh, I think I remember being integrated in probably uh, elementary school Oh, junior high, elementary, junior high. I remember uh, getting integrated. I do remember going to the movie theater and where blacks sit at the top and whites sit to sit at the bottom. And I, one day I said, I'm not going to sit up at the top. I'm going to sit at the bottom. And I went and sat down at the bottom. And sure enough, the police came in and said, hey, you come here. You can't sit down here. And I had to get out. That's 1977. Wow. So that was far, far removed from, you know, you should have had a right to sit in that seat at that point, for sure, correct? Absolutely, absolutely. But, yeah. you know, things just hadn't progressed at absolutely. that point. Absolutely. Now, did that have any influence on your pursuit of law growing up in that era? Yes, it did. Yes, it did. Because I've always seen law as the equalizer. You know, in that area, is always the federal government was going to be our help. The federal government, you know, it's like the federal government is going to come in and do something. And in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, law, that's a vehicle to help advance the cause of our, our people and my family. So that definitely was a motivator. Perfect. Now, where did you go to law school? Southern University, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Absolutely, absolutely. 
so you finished up at Southern University and I mean, we spoke about it earlier. So you didn't really practice law for a long time. Talk to us about that. Yeah, I went to Southern University, uh, went to law school after I graduated from law school. Well, before I, before I finished up, I, you, know, you graduate from law school and then the next thing is you got to pass the bar. And so, man, that's where I, it gave me the blues. I mean, I took the bar first time. Mr. Jones, we regret to inform you, you failed. Took it the second time. We regret to inform you, you failed. That went for about six or seven times before I felt before I passed the bar. Actually, I passed on the seventh time. But uh, uh, after passing the bar, getting admitted to Louisiana, I went to Georgia and became a corporate attorney for a mortgage company. I was a compliance officer for a period of time. And while in Georgia, I began to teach at Kennesaw State University business law and ethics. And I'm like, this is really cool. And, uh, and, and while there, I ended up uh, uh, going to the United Supreme, State Supreme Court in 2010. And that's how my career is going. I was in academia for a period of time. And then I went to the Supreme Court with uh, my uncle, Otis. And then uh, and that's, how I, that's how that journey went. What did you take away from being able to be in academia? What was the main benefit, would you say, versus actually practicing in the community? The biggest takeaway from ac in academia was the impact that you could have on individuals' lives. I mean, to this day, I still meet students who say they remember something that I told them during my class. Uh, the, 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 uh, the chance to put your thumbprint on young people's minds and to help them think about how to approach law and how to approach life. I used to tell them I teach law and life. So if you're coming in here, you're gonna learn law and life. It's the impact that you can have on young people. Absolutely. And like you mentioned, the training that you give them will be with them throughout their career. So it's, even though you might not be able to see all the fruit that is definitely gonna bear fruit later in life. That is correct, that is correct. Now you mentioned uh, working on the Supreme Court. Tell us about that experience. That was a beautiful experience. I didn't know exactly how that worked. Uh, I, I, as I said, uh, Otis McDonald, that was a landmark case uh, in 2010, I believe, Otis McDonald versus City of Chicago. Uh, going to the Supreme Court, I realized how thorough you know, the, the preparation has to be and how intense it is and how impactful it is uh, to, to go. I, uh, my, uh, Otis McDonald happens to be my mom's brother and I got admitted when his case was heard. So I went along as his personal attorney, more or less advising and supporting him, helping him understand the whole process. But he was represented by another team of lawyers who actually represented him at the Supreme Court. Uh, the sacredness of that procedure, uh, uh, the amount of money that it takes to get there, the type of movement that you have to have behind you to get to the Supreme Court. I saw a lot of uh, components there uh, that opened my eyes to see that how uh, what had to be happening in the 60s or during the civil rights movement for Thurgood Marshall and those people to get to the Supreme Court and to be heard and to get those cases uh, uh, decided favorably, that was a big, big undertaking. Let's speak to that a little bit. So you mentioned to be able to even get a court, a case admitted to the Supreme Court. Is that what you're speaking of? Yeah, to be just to have it heard, you know, all cases don't go to the Supreme Court. The, the court chooses which cases they get to hear. Only a small percentage of cases are actually heard. And to have a, to craft an issue of law or to have an issue that will go to the Supreme Court, that is unique in and of itself, let alone going 
and being victorious. And, and my uncle was able to to do something that, uh, that that hit both of those categories. So I was very proud of him. And it was just a proud moment for all of us to just be there and to have that experience. For us to see what we've seen and to see the progress that we've made as a nation based on those laws and rules being changed, it, it's just phenomenal. However, I still feel like we have a long ways to go, but we've also made a lot of progress along the way. Sure, sure. So I guess you were kind of in the peak of your career when you decided to walk away from academic um, law. What were you, 15 years in or so? You know, you're exactly right. You're exactly right. I was, it was. Uh, yeah, I was about 53 years old. I could have stayed and retired. I could have stayed on as a tenured professor because I was tenured uh, at the time but uh, I outgrew it. Uh, I read a post today which said something about, are you settling for a second choice career? And, and when I looked at that, I'm like, you know what? Uh, that perhaps could have been me, but I made a decision back then. I mean, I had, I learned something from my uncle when we went to the Supreme Court. He said, if you hadn't found something you would die for, you have not yet lived. And I was like, whoa. And I was like, wait a minute, I'm tenured, I like teaching, I like the classrooms, but I, there's something bigger than this. There's more out there. And I wanted, I wanted that more, I, want, I wanted no limits. I wanted, to, I wanted the freedom that everybody talk about. I wanted to buy my time back. I didn't want to be on anybody's schedule. And so I walked away, I walked away. It was about April, 2016. 2015, I let them know I was going to be leaving. 2016, I left. So you mentioned several important points. Number one, time freedom. And the second thing is the ability to do what you want to do. So you had to, in order to do that, you had to walk away from the security blanket of having a paycheck from the university. So what inspired you to have the courage to do that? It, it really did. And I'll tell you where I drew my inspiration from. I remember when I just made that decision to do that, I went out into my garden. I was in Pineville, Louisiana. And I was like, what in the world have you done? Because it was a bit scary. And so I looked up and I remember I said, you know, my mom had a fourth grade education. My dad had an eighth grade education. And he put 14 children through high school and 11 of us got college education. And he did it with a tractor and by working the dirt. And I went out of my garden and I looked up and I said, if Mose and Beatrice can do it successfully and survive, I can too. And that's when it was on. Tell us about that. Tell us about your father. I mean, that's interesting. You mentioned a huge family um, and uneducated parents sounds like, not, I mean, at least formal education. I won't say uneducated. Yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. Did not have the formal education, but was able to produce enough to educate children to go to the next level. Talk to us about that a little bit. This book right here is a tribute that I did for my dad. And this was the first book I ever wrote my, about my father's business, the wisdom of Mose Jones. Actually, my dad had several businesses. Um, Daddy believed in education and he was a sharecropper. And I wish I had that journal, that ledger. Daddy kept a ledger and it was one of those by five and five and a half by eight or nine, a long ledger. And he would keep that ledger. Uh, seeing how he kept a ledger, kept record, and the work that he did, and his hunger for education, 
was something that really inspired me and motivated me to do what I'm doing. Uh, Daddy uh, cut hair, he cut gardens, he used his tractor to pull people out of the ditch when they would get stuck. You know, he did, he hunted, he fished, he did whatever he had to do to uh, feed us and to get us through school. And I, and just seeing his determination, the thing that brought daddy one of the most joy would be to see his children in the newspaper for having accomplished something or do, did something well in school. So uh, my mom and dad, I like to say this always about the mom taught me how to love and dad taught me how to lead. I mean, they're, they, they're just a phenomenal couple. Absolutely, that's a beautiful story. So tell us about the career that made your eyes get wide and say, okay, I'll walk away from academic law to pursue this. Tell us about your, your coaching career. Well, uh, 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 okay, yeah. I did a book uh, called, uh, 2015, I released an ebook on Amazon. It's called Dr. Fred Jones Speak, publish me now. So I saw, saw that book go to bestseller. And during that time, I was already in a coaching program, uh, October the 13th, 2020, 2013. I remember that well. October 27th, 2013, I was on a phone call and I was like almost broke. I was frustrated. I was teaching. I was practicing law. I was associate minister, but I was frustrated. I wasn't fulfilled. I just like something's got to be better. And on that call, uh, this lady said, if you're not if you're not having the impact, influence, and income you want, it's probably because of poor marketing, poor messaging, poor management, poor uh, media. I'm like, everything was poor. And I'm like, Lord, this woman talking to me. And that's when the light came on. Boom. Okay. And I signed up for her class. It was a brand class. I paid 800 bucks. And she said, if you're not, she said, now you might want to join this class because if you want to work with me one-on-one, it'll be $9.97 an hour. I said, did she just say $9.97 or $997? <laughs> it was $997 an hour. And it was from that night, I said, I'm going to figure this out because she was like an attorney, author, speaker. And I'm like, I'm an attorney. I'm an author of five books and I'm a speaker. I was like, if she can do this, I can figure it out. And it was that night that the light came on and I'm like, I'm going to figure this out. And, and, and since then, I, I, that's what I've been on a mission to do. Sure. So tell us about the power of coaching, because like you mentioned, you were borderline broke. However, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. heard a coach speak and mm-hmm. he said, I got to do this. Tell us about the power of coaching and how it can take you from where you were to where you are now. You don't know what you don't know. And what you don't know is costing you. Okay. Now that's number one. Number two. If you want to go somewhere, you can get there alone. It's going to take you longer. But if you want to get there fast, hire a coach. I like to tell people you can learn from reading chapters in a book. You can learn from going to a conference or you can learn from taking a course. But if you want to get there fast, hire a coach, hire a coach. You you, you can only be what you behold. You can only be what you see. And and, And until somebody is modeling this thing, you don't even know what's possible for you. And so uh, it's so costly to be unlearned. And that was one of the things that I heard from this, this, this particular coach. They were talking about, uh, no, it's just the Bible. It says that a poor man's wisdom is despised. And I'm like, golly. I'm like, wait a minute. I got to get this figured out. I can't stay here. But coaching helped me get past all of that real fast by having some people uh, that I knew in my life that could help me 
move past some of these roadblocks that I had created and help me understand what I didn't know. So coaching is just something that I love. And I'm at a point now where I wouldn't do life without a coach, not business, not out here. Now. So tell us about your um, coaching, the book coach. So you help people write a book, build a brand, start a business. Yes, exactly. Uh, after doing this for so many years, I've, I've published a lot of books. I published five or seven myself that became bestsellers. And as I said, that book went to bestseller. And when I saw that book go to bestseller, it revolutionized my life. And I'm like, boom. And then I did it again. And then people start asking me, I want to be bestseller. And all of a sudden I realized people love the, the title of bestseller. And I realized, boom, I'm on to something bestseller. And so I created a program called bestseller overnight. And the way I, we way the program came to learn bestseller overnight is that I would publish books and, and people would go order and order their books that day and get, get their family member and teams to buy the book. And, and I didn't realize that I was doing a launch. And so, uh, as opposed to publishing a book, publishing is one thing you put it out there, launch, you tell everybody about it and you push. And I, and I started launching books and and I would tell everybody to buy during the day. And then I'd go to sleep. The next thing I know, I wake up in the morning and their book is number one or it's on a hot new release list. And I did that over and over again. And I'm like, oh, bestseller overnight. And then and all of a sudden that program came about. And basically it's a program where I help people write their book, get published in ebook, print book, or hardback book in a course that I have set up to help people walk through it. Sure. So is it correct? I'm hearing you say that content is important, but the launch strategy is even more important. Launch strategy is key as far as getting the book to bestseller. Right. Bestseller, a lot of people that you, that you get a lot of pushback and a lot of different things about the term bestseller, but it's truly just what it says. It's the bestseller at a particular time. Bestseller doesn't mean best book, best story, best written, the best story. I'm not suggesting that anybody put out compromised material. But when you're in business and thinking like an entrepreneur, you want to be thinking bestseller as opposed to best written. If you want to think best written, that's great academically, and you should. But you also should have a great written book. I'm not questioning that at all. But from a business strategy point, you want a bestseller. Um, so who is an ideal candidate to work with you? I work with individuals who are entrepreneur minded who need a business card so that they can uh, begin to build a speaking platform or a coaching program or a consulting program. Individuals who are professional, individuals who have a story to tell. Uh, I work primarily with women and I also have men that work with, that work in my program uh, that I work with, uh, but entrepreneur, female, professional, between the ages of 35 to 65 and if they want to write a book build a brand and grow a business then uh i can help them what would you say is the key to you know somebody writing a successful book is it just having really a great story to tell or what would you say the key factor is to believe in that story it's a belief and if they, the key is to believe, to believe that you got a message, believe that you got something worth saying, believe that, that, that you offer value, belief. I see it all the time. People come in and they're like, you know, who wants to hear my story? I'm not sure. My story is like everybody else's story. No, it's not. No, it's not. Uh, a lot of people want to hear your story. There's some people that are only going to hear you. 
So, uh, 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 but, but, uh, but having a belief and a confidence, most people lack confidence when it comes down to a book. There's like, now I'm not sure if anybody want to hear it. They're nervous. They're scared to put it out there. And I understand that, but uh, belief is huge, huge, huge. Speak to that limiting factor about not wanting to speak. You know, the fear to tell your own story or the fear that no one wants to hear what you have to say. Tell us more about that. One of the things that I say regularly is the most expensive thing you will ever pay is attention to the wrong people. So if you face with a lack of belief in your message or your voice, find somebody that believes in you and borrow their belief in you until it can become your own. That's one thing. Another thing, go where you're celebrated, not where you're tolerated, and you'll always be appreciated, elevated, and compensated. Too many times, we want to try to make people who don't like us like us. We want to try to force ourselves to fit in where we're not invited. And we're so accustomed to failing and, and obstacles and where we don't even give ourselves permission to succeed. I would say give yourself permission to be great, to be genius, to be gifted, because chances are you really are. And so um, align yourself with the community. I tell people all the time, next level living requires three things. A next level conversation, talk to yourself in a bigger way. A next level community, get around different people. And a next level coach, somebody that can guide you and so forth. And then the fourth one is a next level commitment. Make a commitment that you want to go all the way in. So those are some of the things that I know would help people who are struggling with belief. Absolutely. Those are powerful uh, pearls of wisdom that you just shared. So let's speak to about worth because you have a term about worth. Speak with us about that. Worthology. Worthology came about, uh, I was in Atlanta uh, in a coaching program and uh, the, the, the Miss America stood up to the mic and it was about 500 people in that place and it was about three men in the whole group and I happened to be one of them. The lady asked, she says, what's the biggest challenge with being Miss America? And the young lady says, feeling unworthy. And I left there saying, no, you got a crown on your head and you, you're Miss America and you're saying you feel unworthy. And it was a faith-based group. So people are, were people of faith. And I was like, no, no, you can't be unworthy. And I left that group saying, wow, wow. And, I, and it hit me, women of worth. I'm like, oh, women of worth. Okay. And I left there saying, I got to do something to support that cause. And uh, I was walking down the hall at this college where I was teaching at the time. And I'm like, the opposite of unworthy is worthy. And I said, we get our worth from God. It's in our faith. And I'm like, okay, worthy, worthy. And then I'm like, worthology. Yeah, the study of worth. And all of a sudden, it just un unfolded. Because I had my own challenges with worth, okay? There, there was times I didn't see my own value when I was in college and so forth. And uh, I, I struggled. And so knowing that myself, then I was able to use flip that term and coined the phrase and trademarked worthology. Your value is unlimited. Your worth is without measure, but your price is what you're willing to accept. That was a very powerful statement that you mentioned. And it made me think about the word worth. And many times the way we define our worth is by a pay scale, especially if you're working for a large industry or a corporation. 
um, because they're not going to pay you what you're worth. They're going to pay you what their pay scale calls for. Um, so the root of that lack of worth from, from an employee mindset versus an entrepreneurial mindset, especially if you have to depend on someone else to give you a routine paycheck. Um, and if you don't go to work, you're not going to be able to provide for your family. So I really appreciate that insight that you provided on that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people um, define their worth based on an experience that they had in life at some point. You know, we all get dropped along the way somewhere, right? Uh, uh, and uh, as a result of that, we become damaged and either we can overcome it or settle into it. And so uh, uh, I just love encouraging people to push through it. I'll give you one more on that worthology point. I remember working, wow, I remember this man's name, but I was working at a grocery store and the man came up to me, I was in 11th grade. He said, boy, you see this mop? It won't fit my hands. It won't fit my hands, it'll fit your hands. And I'm like, you know what? Okay, all right, okay. And I remember to this day, that was like, oh, okay. So, and those kind of things have fueled me because worthology is something that I see as my response to racism, sexism, and any other kind of ism that makes people to feel less than. Your value is unlimited. Your worth is without measure, but your price is what you accept. So I like to really charge people to embrace the fullness of their worth. Absolutely, thank you for that. All right, so on Time Out with the Sports Doctor, this is your final timeout. So we've talked about a lot, and thank you for sharing the many pearls of wisdom that you've already shared. Um, and I want to ask you a phrase, and I want you to respond to what you sure. feel. All so right. when I ask, when, or when I say to you that you are Black history in the making, what does that mean to you? Realness. Yes. Uh, it means... I'm a living legend. It means what I'm doing is is causing and leaving an impact. Um, If I'm Black history in the making, it's uh, I'm writing the history book that somebody else will read years from now. Uh, I'm Black history in the making. I am Frederick Douglass. I am Harriet Tubman. I am my ancestors. And the journey and the struggle is real. And uh, we have to just keep on keeping on. And with everything that's in me, I want to write the best story that I can write so that somebody else will be able to stand on my shoulders and go a little bit higher and further. Absolutely. And not only are you writing writing your own story, you are empowering others to be able to write their story and, and speak their truth. Exactly. Exactly. That's excellent. Well, Dr. Jones, I really appreciate your time. I really appreciate appreciate you coming on this podcast and sharing all the worth and all the value that you've given to myself as well as my audience. So I really appreciate you coming on. It's a privilege being here, Dr. Burgess, and uh, thank you so much for having me. All right. Thank you again. Thank you, sir. Thank you for your continued support with this podcast. A five-star review would be greatly appreciated. Subscribe to this podcast so you can continue to get the updated information and new episodes. Thank you.